welcome to Let's Talk Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes UK in Northern Ireland. Throughout this series, we'll be chatting everything diabetes with healthcare professionals, people from the Diabetes UK team and people living with diabetes in Northern Ireland. Today we're going to be talking about numbers. There are a lot of numbers to consider when you are diagnosed with diabetes. We've talked in previous episodes about how diabetes and the information that comes along with it can be very overwhelming and numbers can play a big part in that for people. Our guests today are here to try to break those numbers down a bit and explain some of the main things that will be talked about within your diabetes. And as usual, we'll ask them at the end for some advice to help you. I'm your host, Susie Hull, Healthcare Engagement Manager at Diabetes UK in Northern Ireland. And we will be joined by Sarah Karsh, who joined us in the last episode. She's an independent diabetes nurse consultant and works Northern Ireland wide. And Niall O'Kane, who's a GP pharmacist from Macquarie Medical Centre in Mid-Ulster. Folks, it's great to have you here today. Thanks very much for joining us. And Sarah, I know you had kind of introduced yourself in the last episode, but for those who maybe didn't listen, uh-huh. and if you can do that again, I'm just going to ask you both to kind of introduce yourselves a little bit, your background, your interest in diabetes. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, as you introduced me, I'm a Sarah Cars. I'm an independent diabetes nurse consultant. I am retired, um, but previous to that, um, I worked for quite a number of years as a diabetes specialist nurse within the Northern Trust, and I worked across both primary and secondary care, both as a diabetes nurse and then as a a diabetes manager. So I left the health service, and then in 2017, I joined Diabetes UK as a nurse advisor for a couple of years. But really, uh, my interest in diabetes stems right back to when I was a student nurse in a long time ago. And I studied hard for diabetes because I had reviewed all final papers and thought, oh, it has to come up, it has to come up. And I wasn't too sure about diabetes at the time. So I researched and learned all I could learn about it. So that really um, sparked my interest in diabetes. And it's just kept going um, over the last... 40 years I think <laughs> giving away your age there somewhere. I know I know well, I am retired um, so early retirement is a thing yes it was early yeah. retirement definitely but uh, yes so really diabetes became my passion and I tried for many years to get a job as a, a specialist nurse um, and then was lucky enough to uh, get one in the Northern Trust and uh, worked there for quite a long time and did all the various qualifications that I needed. And I then developed an interest in some of the education, especially for type 1 diabetes. Brilliant, thank you. And Niall, what about yourself? Yeah, well, I've been a pharmacist for nearly 20 years now. Uh, initially worked in community pharmacy and then probably about 12, 13 years ago, I undertook independent prescribing qualification. Uh, so then I started to work in GP surgeries, um, primarily working with patients with hypertension, so high blood pressure. And as the years went on, that can expand it, dealing with people with high cholesterol, cardiovascular risk reduction. Then I diversified, I'm not sure quite why, but into <laughs> benzodiazepine reduction and bone health fracture reduction, osteoporosis. Um, I suppose with diabetes, I was always a wee bit intimidated about it. I always thought there was so much to know. I get involved in that big area. So, but about six years ago, we conducted some fantastic training by a consultant pharmacist for a guy, Phil Newland Jones. Very, very informative. It sort of sparked my interest in particularly type 2 diabetes. From there, I started upscaling. I uh, started working in practice, liaising with practice nurses and the GPs, uh, learning all the time. And then over a number of years, the role kind of reversed. They were learning off me. I became the expert in practice in type 2 diabetes. 
recently completed my master's in advanced pharmacy practice, focusing on type 2 diabetes. Uh, do a little bit of work with the Diabetes Network in Northern Ireland and a little bit with yourselves now for Diabetes UK. Perfect, thank you. And probably just to check in there, pharmacy is a role that has developed within GP services and it's probably something that's not widely known still, mm-hmm. that actually your diabetes specialist could be a pharmacist in the practice. We're very used to it being mm-hmm. a practice nurse or a GP, but a pharmacist now a significant role in the diabetes yes, care. Yes, certainly. It's increasing all the time. It's it's long-term disease management. Um, there is a role for other healthcare professionals as opposed to your GP, traditionally, historically looked after your type 2 diabetes. But the huge pressures that are in general practice at the minute, the firefighting nature of it, yep. that they're much more probably focused on the acute medicine sides. So fixing the here and the now, whereas the likes of our practice nurses or general practice pharmacists um, our DSNs, we're focusing on one disease area yep. and that's where we can really upskill in that area and give a real expert level of care in general practice. Yep. And that long-term management of the condition fits better in those roles now. Yep, certainly does. Yep. So, thank you very much for coming today and we are going to chat and focus around numbers. Numbers are a big thing within diabetes care. So they are and we hear a lot about numbers. I suppose maybe can you break down those numbers a little bit and I'm going to throw it over to you to maybe come in what type of numbers come up um, and maybe explain what those are, how those come about, what you're looking for at those points. Okay, do you want me to start? Yeah, you go with the blood glucose and type 1. Yeah, so usually the first measurement would be taken would be a a blood sugar measurement and that's usually um, a little finger prick on the, the end of your finger. Or else it can be taken from your arm if you've maybe gone to the GP and the GP says, I think I'll just do some blood tests. So that would be the blood sugars are measured in two ways. And one is by a finger prick. And that gives us what exactly is going on in your body at that particular moment. And then there is a long term blood glucose test called an HbA1c and that actually measures the amount of sugar that has attached itself to the red blood cells and a red blood cell will last for 140 days on average so that gives us a long-term idea of what the blood sugar level is within your body for the last six to eight weeks. Okay and so those numbers then that is where we hear people talking about my blood sugars were Five point something, six point something, Absolutely. whatever the point number is. Yes. But then, also then there's the number of 50, 60, 70. That's and right. that's the difference. That's the difference. Yeah, 1C is your long term yes. bigger number. Which will always be in double figures. So it'll be 48 or 46. Whereas your millimoles will be, or your blood sugars will be um, 4.7 or, or 8.4. Four. Yes. And what do you do with that number then for both type 1 and type 2 if there's differences? But what is done with that number? Why is it so important? Well, the HbA1c is really the gold standard of diabetes measurements now. And that really, as I said earlier, gives us a good idea of what exactly is going on in your body for the last eight to six weeks. And we would then use that as our guideline onto whether your treatment is working, whether we need to change your treatment, or we maybe need to increase your medication, in both in type 1, where it might be an increase in insulin, and in type 2, it might be an increase in the strength of a tablet, or we might need to add in another tablet to help control your diabetes. 
And I suppose then for both of you, that is a number that you use quite significantly within appointments, within conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. So with HbA1c, uh, we would classify um, two readings of 48 or more as having type 2 diabetes. So type 2 diabetes, uh, you can... You could be between just over 48 and be diagnosed uh, maybe on a routine blood test. You know, if you have somebody who's already has high blood pressure and cholesterol, you can then get them in for their annual bloods. You might do a HbA1c and they might have a coincidental finding of type 2 diabetes. They don't know they have it. So it can be very useful for that. So we can get in there and we can do the early intervention that can really Mm -hmm. help the long-term outcomes. Whereas somebody who presents with type 2 diabetes and symptomatic. So you talked about the four T's before, the thirst, the toilet, the tiredness. And thinner. Thinner, There's You always forget the fourth one and it's (laughs) never the same fourth one. (laughs) So often they will present symptomatic as in they have these, these symptoms are present. So they tend to have a much higher HbA1c. Uh, They will come to feeling unwell. Uh, Usually they'll be above 85. Sometimes, I think the record I've seen is 160. Okay. You know, so, so it can go up into that 100. It can go to triple figures, yeah, okay. cer- certainly can. So our targets, we do have HbA1c targets for patients, but they're very much tailored to the patient. Yep. So it, it's a discussion with your healthcare professional and the patient as to what much, your own target is uh, at that time. How much we want to try and lower the HbA1c to. So if I have a, a 55-year-old fit, active male on no medication for type 2 diabetes, we want to get them back under 48. Okay. Okay. If they're on maybe certain medications that don't cause a hypoglycemia, which is a low blood sugar, yep. um, we'd like to get them under 48. But if they're on medications such as insulin or other medications that may cause a hypoglycemia, so mm-hmm. that... Um, then we relax the target a little bit to yep. want to get them under 53. But say for a patient who presents at about 88 years of age with dementia, newly diagnosed type 2 diabetes, we probably don't worry too much about their HbA1c unless they're symptomatic yep. of high blood sugars because um, the risks of long-term complications from type 2 diabetes with a new diagnosed at 88 years of age are less. Are very low. Yep. You know, so it depends on the patient. You would start have a discussion with the with the carers and that or the family in that instance to see what you actually want to achieve. So very much individual targets for every patient. Okay, brilliant. And then I suppose you use it by the signs that you in appointments use the finger prick immediate one far less. That would be something that's maybe used at home more, is it? Yeah. Okay. Maybe, um, if, if a person has got um, a blood glucose meter, I maybe would ask them to do me a series of tests before they come to see me. And then I would uh, look at, see if there's any patterns before meals and after meals, two hours after meals, where the pattern might be that, that helps guide me um, to where I might need to increase the, the medication. Yep. In patients with type 2 diabetes, uh, unless they're on insulin or a medication that can cause a low blood sugar, such as a sulfonylurea, the main one being glycoside that we use, uh, we don't recommend routine testing of their own blood sugars. Mm-hmm. We advise uh, regular attendance to your practice every 6 to 12 months for your HbA1c. But what I would use more and more frequently with patients who are newly diagnosed uh, for their own educational purposes I provide them with a blood glucose monitor and strips so they can assess the impact of uh, their diet, their exercise, lifestyle, and how that impacts on their blood sugars to really educate themselves. Yeah. I wouldn't advise routine checking, 
but really... It's not for the need to measure the no, blood sugars. No. It's to understand how food or exercise or lifestyle changes blood sugars. Yeah. And it's just the education mm-hmm. around it. Yeah, education, totally. Okay. So blood sugars is probably the main number we talk about in yes. diabetes care. There are many others. Do you want to take me through some of those things? Like people will get their blood pressure done, their weight done, there's kidney tests. Mm-hmm. How often are these done or what do they mean maybe? For people well now do you want to do blood pressure yep certainly um so anybody with type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes should have a, at the very minimum an annual blood pressure check so blood pressure we're probably more familiar with the values for blood pressure you'll often hear bandied about i've got perfect blood pressure <laughs> 120 over 80 so it's not always 120 over 80 it could be you could be 100, very 100 over 60 and you're still very good blood pressure 130 over 80 so uh, it does range between people but in type 2 diabetes, blood pressure control is really, really important. It's nearly as important as blood sugar control. And we'll get on to cholesterol management. That's very important too. So blood pressure, um, about half of all patients with diabetes will have high blood pressure. Okay. So high blood pressure along with high blood sugars can really affect the kidneys, which we'll go on to as well later. Yep. So we want to keep our blood pressure under control. The more we keep our blood pressure under control, the more we lower the risks of long-term complications. So you'll, you'll hear a higher figure and a lower figure. So the higher figure is what we call systolic blood pressure. And that is the force uh, that your heart, when it pumps, the force, the pressure that pumps the blood through the body. So that'll be your higher reading. And the lower reading is called the diastolic reading. And that's in between heartbeats when the heart rests. So you'll have a higher reading and a lower reading. For patients with uh, diabetes, all types, type 1 and type 2, we our target blood pressure is under 140 for systolic and under 90 for diastolic. So that's your in-practice reading. Now, those targets are slightly lowered for home blood pressure readings okay. because the theory is if you're at home in your own surroundings, you're going to be more relaxed. Your blood pressure should be a bit lower. Whereas as soon as I walk into a doctor's surgery, I'm panicking slightly, I'm worrying slightly, yes. and yes. my blood pressure goes up. Yep. Yeah. Totally. So it happens very common, very common. So the the home targets are a little bit lower. So for patients under 80 years of age, the home blood pressure targets are under 135 and under 85. Uh, If you're over 80 years of age, though, the upper systolic reading is slightly relaxed. Goes to you would like it to be under 150 because in the patients over 80, they're more prone to a thing called postural hypotension. So they stand up quickly, blood pressure drops, increased falls risks. A fall can be really detrimental yep. for a patient, you know, increases hip fracture risk. So we want to reduce that. So hence we relax the blood pressure targets a little bit in the elderly. So um, it's all very important that I would advise whenever taking a blood pressure, it's a wee bit like a blood glucose, it's a snapshot in time. So it's one reading, you're in practice, you know you could be stressed, you could be running about and... You're late for your appointment. appointment. Couldn't get parked out <laughs> on the street. So you tend to be a bit stressed and we don't have the time to sit there for 10 minutes there. Yeah. And we'll and then we'll check your blood pressure. You've got you've probably an hour three patients waiting. So your time's limited. So often that blood pressure can be can be a bit elevated and you don't want to over treat. So I would ask anybody to purchase their own home blood pressure monitor. Uh, a very, very good investment. Nowadays, pretty low cost, you know, 20, 30 pounds going to get you a good one. Uh, go to your local pharmacy, order online. The British and Irish Hypertension Society have a list of um, reputable manufacturers and machines yep. that you can order. I would say to the patients, check your blood pressure. You know, um, 
10 times before you see me again, you know, in three weeks, yeah. various times a day. So we get a bit of an idea of how it's uh, going up and down during the day. And they bring that in. It gives a much more accurate reading of what's happened with the patient's blood pressure. I suppose similar to measuring your own blood sugar at home. Mm-hmm. It's just that ability to measure your own blood mm-hmm. pressure at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. I suppose probably my only thing there is to factor in that not to get overwhelmed with doing all of these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that actually it's a conversation again with your healthcare professional that you go in and you say, well, if I want to do this, how do I do this? Most well, what do I need to do? And a bit of a guide of measure 10 times in the next three weeks. Mm-hmm. And to schedule that out a wee bit rather than thinking yeah. that you need to do it every 10 minutes. Yeah, totally. It's it's kind of know your numbers, but don't get too obsessed yeah. by them. And back to that overwhelming sense of we want to understand numbers, but not for them to take over life. Yeah, certainly. Exactly. And, um, you know, to take your blood pressure at different times of the day because we're stri- more stressed at different times of the day. Don't be taking it up always first thing in the morning when you get up when you've had a nice night's sleep so it's important to do it at different times of the day and it's also very important if they are high to calm down not worry about it because that's only going to put it up more yeah so you know certainly do your readings a couple of times before you go and see a healthcare profession and bring them in and show them to them but just also understand that the readings may depend on what's happening in life at the moment. Absolutely. That they may not be a permanent Exactly, because we, we all get stressed at some time uh, in our life and sometimes it's nothing to do with you. Yeah. It's just what's going on around you yeah. mm-hmm. can put yeah. your blood pressure up. Yeah. I suppose then you mentioned, and probably even just the connection between everything, I think was what I picked up when you started talking, Niall, is that, well, actually the blood pressure is measured because you measure for kidneys. So we'll maybe talk about a couple of the other numbers that come in. Um, we mentioned kidneys, so we'll maybe move to that. Uh-huh. That is a check that is done for people with diabetes. Yes, and that's done two ways, by a urine test. And you'll bring up a, a urine sample and we'll take it away and we'll do a little uh, dipstick test on it. And that is really to test for any protein that may have been leaking out into your urine from your kidneys. And that would be you know, the first signs that something is affecting your kidneys now whether it could be your blood pressure or it could be your diabetes or it could be a combination of of the two so that's what we do that's why you have to bring that urine sample it's not just for testing for sugar it's testing for what we call it an acr it's just to look what protein and that will pick up minute particles of protein. Which then allows you to either treat or start monitoring something. And sometimes you might need to go on a tablet to help that because we can slow it down by giving some medication. Okay. And how often does that happen, that kidney test? Is that back to the annual review? Well, it can be done at annual review, but it's if there is some uh, leakage there, then we would maybe do it a wee bit uh, more often. Okay. Just to check on it. But yes, it should be done at your on diagnosis, uh, again, at any diabetic appointments that you attend at the hospital and or the GP surgery. Okay. Yeah, I would have to admit, uh, with regards to the urinary ACR, that's the, the detecting the protein in the urine. Sometimes we're not as good at checking it as compared to our blood kidney test. Yeah. Uh, I know in my own practice, pre-COVID, we probably only had about 40% of patients were getting an ACR per year. Yeah. Down to COVID, went down about 30%, but we a little bit of work, we're back up to 50%, but yeah. really all patients with diabetes should have an annual uh, urinary test for the protein. As Sarah mentioned, it is a very early mark of any 
kidney disease and it's again somewhere where we can make a very early intervention. And I suppose probably just important to point out then that you know you will not have time to do everything and things will fall that it's not being tested for so understanding what care is expected within your diabetes journey is important for you as a person living with diabetes that you can ask well what about my kidney functions what about is there proteins so just that understanding and I suppose just to point out then that Diabetes UK do have information on what care to expect and that is accessible you can bring that to appointments and support that appointment journey through asking what you need to look at at those appointments Mm. Now, you also mentioned cholesterol. We hear a lot about it. And I think you mentioned lipids or something as well. <laughs> but, but this is getting yes. out of my remit of understanding. So, yeah, cholesterol, sometimes referred to as lipids. Okay, okay. same same thing, same okay. principle. Okay, so it's fat that's found in the body. There's two main types. There is the good cholesterol, which is known as HDL. And then there's the bad cholesterol, uh, known as LDL, low-density lipoprotein, to give it its full term. Okay. Uh, we also have triglycerides as well, which is fatty acids combined with glycerol, which is a type of sugar. So we want good, good high levels of good cholesterol, HDL. We want low levels of bad cholesterol, LDL, and low levels of triglycerides. Okay. okay. So again, similar to blood pressure, we like to check the lipids annually. With patients, when, when they're in for their annual bloods or kidney function, you'll check the cholesterol, you'll check the blood pressure. Okay, so again, this is one of your sort of three pillars of management, and particularly in type 2 diabetes, also in type 1 diabetes, with your your blood glucose, your blood pressure, and your cholesterol. So patients with an increased uh, level of bad cholesterol are an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Okay. So probably the whole point of management of type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes, is reducing long-term complications, um, reducing the risk of heart attack and stroke, yeah. reducing the risk of damage to the small blood vessels, like the kidneys, the nerves, and, yeah. and also the eyes as well. So generally, uh, so we check a patient's risk each year for type 2 diabetes and and uh, a risk calculator called Q-Risk. Okay? It takes in lots of different variables, age, gender, family history, yep. or what your cholesterol is, what your blood pressure is, what your weight is. And we throw it in the calculator, and anybody over 10%, we consider high risk, and they would be a candidate for statin medication, which okay. probably most people have heard about statins. So you get very lot, a lot of media coverage, a lot of positive coverage, a lot of negative coverage, but really they work extremely well at lowering your bad cholesterol and ultimately lowering your risk of major cardiovascular disease. Yeah. Okay. And I suppose the argument of good versus bad comes down to that personal conversation that you have with your healthcare professional to understand why you need to take it or why yeah. you should or mm-hmm. would be taking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For every one point reduction in LDL, bad cholesterol, we reduced our cardiovascular risk by 25%. So it wow. is it, it is significant. So sometimes explaining that to patients means they're more willing to trial the medication yeah. in the first instance. You know, just explain the risk and how much we can work with patients to reduce their risk. Yeah. Okay. I think even I'm feeling slightly overwhelmed with the number yeah. of numbers there. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, this, you know, we've only been talking here for a short amount of time on it. The other thing is that sometimes the medication that you're given for, uh, well, your statin, sometimes can cause side effects. And really, that's where a conversation going back to your pharmacist and telling the pharmacist, look, I've tried these for six weeks and I'm still, I'm not feeling good. Then you need to get some advice. Don't stop taking them just change them to another tablet 
there's lots of alternatives. Even Absolutely. going even going once a week with certain statins, it can be really beneficial yeah. and can really build up a tolerance to the side effects to them as well. So there's lots of options. Just because one doesn't agree with you, there's plenty of other things we can do. Yeah. Back Absolutely. down to that conversation again Absolutely. and understanding your circumstances. Yeah. And I suppose that leads me on nicely to kind of, as I've just mentioned, that even seems overwhelming to me within a 20 minute conversation, 25 minute conversation, just because there's so many things. How do you probably as a healthcare professional ensure that that doesn't overtake an appointment? Because you maybe have 10 minutes yeah. to discuss all of these numbers. Do you discuss them all or is it just dependent on what's happening? So it would depend on the patient, uh, depend on their insight to their condition. Um, sometimes it depends on which is the highest of the three. You know, if your blood pressure is through your roof and your blood sugars are very well controlled, we're going to focus on your blood pressure. Uh, so it depends on what the most urgent need is at times. What we can do that will lower your risk most. Absolutely, and prevent any of the complications. You know, we would whatever takes the first priority is it would be my first priority yeah. to get it under control. And I suppose then also just to point out, you know, we're talking a lot about numbers and what they mean and no one understanding them, but also just to understand that you are more than the number that is in front of you. You are a person and that number can change depending on what's going on in your life, depending on what's happening in your world. Absolutely. And always... You won't have perfect numbers, whatever perfect numbers are. (laughs) You won't. Nobody knows. You know, and the other thing is they're your numbers and... Always write them down or ask the healthcare professional to write them down, uh, either in your monitoring diary or even just on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, you bring those along and discuss them with the healthcare professional, wh- whoever it may be. And, you know, it may be somebody wants to get their cholesterol down. That's great. Let's concentrate on that. It might be somebody who's. I, I suffer from high blood pressure. And when you've got high blood pressure, you feel absolutely awful yeah. and you just want to get that under control so you feel well again. Mm-hmm. So potentially for you going into an appointment that's what you want to focus Absolutely. on and you want to discuss yes. around that. Yeah. Very often uh, in review appointments I think it's very important to ing- congratulate the patient so very often Absolutely. we will print off their chart which shows where your long term blood sugar was at diagnosis and yeah. where it's at now and what significant changes they have done and say look how well yeah. you've done to date because we're always looking ahead what we have to do we yeah. sometimes we need to reflect on how well we've done to date and we as a population are not very good at accepting praise That's or right. anything like that so we do quite often just see the bad bits for want of a better term I know. for that and but people have to remember how much it makes us feel good whenever you know when somebody gets their hba from quite a high level down to normal level, that's like giving me a million pounds because that person has worked with me and and yeah. taken on board what I've said and have improved their life. And that's what my and job's about, is improving ultimately, people. Ultimately, you have worked together to get Absolutely. that because you can give as much advice as you can. Yes. But it is a working together on this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Folks, it has been an amazing conversation and thank you very much. I know we probably won't have covered everything (laughs) as much as we have covered quite a lot. But I want to end by asking you both to give us one kind of top tip or one piece of advice for people living with diabetes about knowing your numbers, but maybe also not allowing that to take control. Yeah, um, I would have to say educate yourself. 
understand your condition, understand the progression, but not only educate yourself, educate your family members, your carers, your partners, your friends. Uh, very often I will say to patients, bring somebody along with you. Mm -hmm. um, we understand that patients maybe only take in 20 to 40 percent maximum of what you actually tell them in consult in a consultation so if you bring a second person in there you can nearly double that information uh, so that can be a very useful source so it's about educating yourself understand diet exercise lifestyle the impact they have on your blood sugars um, having your friends and family know what your condition is and how they can help you, how they can motivate you at times when you're flagging, how they can adjust their diets as well at home. You know, not just adjusting the diet for the person living with diabetes, yeah. adjusting the diet for the whole family. It's, it's much easier that way. Or going for walks, doing exercise with that person. You know, it's much easier to do exercise in twos. When you're supported. Yeah, supported. Absolutely. So education and support is vitally important. Yeah. And as I said in a previous podcast, just write everything down, every question you want answered. And as I said before, it, it may not be we get through the full list and the that appointment, but ask for a review appointment and we can discuss other things. And I think bringing somebody along is a great idea. Not always possible. But it's a great idea. But I suppose there are, you know, we talk a lot about the the different styles of appointments now, phone calls and all. Mm. Having somebody sitting on the phone on speakerphone is the same. <laughs> you know, we, we can do this very different ways now as well. And so just about having that support around you, having the information Absolutely. that you want to find out. Yes, because very um, often if I'd put somebody on insulin, I wouldn't maybe see them again, but I would maybe ring them the next day to say, well, how's it going? Maybe ring them back another couple of days and say, how's it going? What's your blood sugars doing? And that, you might be ticking a couple more things off that list at every phone call. It's absolutely. maybe not just that 10 minutes, 20 minute appointments. You don't have to come in all the time. But sometimes people want to see you, they want to do the face to face and that's perfectly all right as well. And I mean, going on to, as Niall said, educate yourself. But if you go on to the Diabetes UK website, I mean, the information there is unbelievable for people newly diagnosed and make use of that. Well, make use of it to educate yourself, but also to support you during those appointments that you can go in with that list and understand what you want to ask. Yep. Brilliant. Folks, thank you very much for joining us. It thank has you. been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Let's Talk Diabetes. Remember to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you want to hear more from Diabetes UK Northern Ireland, follow us on social media at Diabetes UK NI.